me to be able to say the things you would have me to say. And Lord, uh, like I pray often, I've got notes written down on a piece of paper, but I, I can't do the, the work of ministering your word. I need your help. And Lord, I ask that you just please help me tonight to be able to say the things you would have me to say and that we might continue to uh, grow in grace, Lord, tonight. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Joshua chapter number uh, 3. And if you remember, as we've been going through the book of Joshua, the children of Israel at this point here in, in the book of Joshua, the children of Israel have spent 40 years in the wilderness. You remember they came out of Egypt and Moses brought them out of Egypt. God only meant for the children of Israel to spend a short amount of time in the wilderness, maybe six months or so. And he meant for them to be in the wilderness so they could get a few things together. He wanted to give him the, to give them the Ten Commandments, His Word, give him His covenant. And then he wanted them to immediately proceed into the Promised Land. But if we've talked about it on Sunday nights before, so I'm just saying this by review. If you remember, Moses sent 12 spies into Canaan, and they came back with an evil report. They came back saying, the land is too strong, we cannot take it. There are giants in the land. And the people ended up rebelling against God. They refused to go in and God punished them. And He said, okay, you don't want to go into the promised land? That's fine. You will wander in the wilderness till that generation dies and I'll allow the next generation to go in. When we come to the book of Joshua, we are at that second generation that is now getting ready to go from the wilderness into the promised land. Now, what you need to understand, to, to completely understand the book of Joshua, what you must understand is that these physical locations that the children of Israel were in represent stages of the Christian life. For example, if you study... Egypt in the Bible, just if you do a, a search of the word Egypt in Scripture, you will find that Egypt always represents the world. From the beginning, from the first mention of Egypt all the way into the end, you find people going down into Egypt. Every time they go into Egypt, they get in trouble. Every time they go into Egypt, they're going down in bondage. Every time they go into Egypt, they're, they're, they're fighting, you know, they're having sin in their life. The, Egypt represents the world. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, if you remember, they were in bondage to the Egyptians. That's a picture of you and I. Before we were saved, we were in bondage to sin and the world. We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights. The promised land, a lot of people uh, will teach that the promised land is a picture of heaven. And that when, when we die, we'll go into the promised land. Now, now that's fine, and there's nothing, maybe there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But what you need to understand, to truly understand the book of Joshua, you must understand that the promised land, Canaan land, the land that uh, God had promised Abraham, all the way in the book of Genesis, He promised Abraham that He was going to give him a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and it took all that time, up until the book of Joshua, that the children of Israel actually went into the promised land. What you need to understand is that the promised land, it, in, in its I'm not against people who say it represents heaven or anything like that. But what I honestly believe the promised land and Canaan land represents is a victorious Christian life. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He sent a deliverer, Moses. This is all a picture of salvation. They crossed the Red Sea, which the New Testament tells us was a picture of baptism. And then he said, now that you've been baptized, I want you to go in and have the victorious Christian life. And what that pictures is that you and I, as Christians, we get saved, we get baptized, and then the battle begins. 
There are fights, that, there are wars, there are battles in our Christian life. God wants us to conquer sin in our life. God wants us to conquer our, our flesh and our old man. And as we battle that Christian life and we win those battles, hey, you're conquering the promised land of your heart. That's what the promised land represents. Amen. The wilderness that the children of Israel spent 40 years in is a picture of the backslidden lukewarm Christian. Keep your finger there in Joshua. But go to the book of Revelation just real quickly. Revelation chapter number 3. In Revelation chapter number 3 you find a very good description of a backslidden Christian. And in Revelation chapter number 3, if you look at verse number 14, Revelation chapter number 3, and in verse number 14, the Bible says, Revelation should be fairly easy to find, last book in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 14, the Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Notice verse 15. He says, I know thy works. That thou art neither cold nor hot. He says, you're not cold. He says, you're not hot. He says, I would thou work cold or hot. He said, I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather you be hot. He said, but you're neither cold nor hot. Now, it's interesting. Well, we'll keep reading. Look at verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm. Do you see that? And neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now here's what's interesting. God says, you know, I believe that there, the representation is, is, is hey, I, I, much, you know, I, I think the, the, the picture there is that being hot is just being on fire. The Bible says about John the Baptist that he, that, that he, was, uh, that, that, that he was a shining light, that he was burning for the kingdom of God. And I, I believe that, that being hot there is referring to a Christian that's on fire for God. They're doing something for God. They're accomplishing something for God. That's why I'm always hot. You know, that's why I need the air conditioner. That's a joke. But you know, there are some Christians that are cold. Meaning, they're, they're not moving. They're not doing anything. They're not accomplishing anything. Now, here's the interesting thing. The sad part is that most Christians aren't hot, and most Christians aren't cold. Most Christians are just comfortable, lukewarm. And the interesting thing is that God says, I would rather you be cold than lukewarm. Isn't that interesting? Look at verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold nor hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, he says, a lukewarm Christian makes me sick. He says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I, I, I like to drink nice, a nice cold glass of water. But you know what I can't stand? is a room temperature water. You know what I mean? Or even worse, a room temperature Coca-Cola. <laughs> I want a cold Coca-Cola, but I'd rather drink a hot Coca-Cola than a lukewarm Coca-Cola. That's what God says. He says, I, I, I'd rather you be hot. But if you're not going to be hot, I'd, ra- I'd rather you be cold because he says, if you're cold, at least you're not a hypocrite. But he said, because you're lukewarm, he said, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Look at verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, if you go back to Joshua, I believe that wilderness wandering is a picture of lukewarm, backslidden Christianity. You say, why is that? Because if you remember when the children of Israel were wandering for 40 years in the promised land, do you remember they fought some battles, they had some victories, remember that? Remember Moses lifted up his hands, and as he lifted up his hands, Joshua led the army and they won battles. Hey, they beat kings while they were in the wilderness. They had battles they fought. They weren't fighting the battles in Canaan land, but while they were in the wilderness, they fought battles. So they were doing the work of God, even in the wilderness. But you know what else they were doing in the wilderness? Worshipping the calf, 
saying, let us make a captain to go back to Egypt, being stiff-necked and rebellious. You know what they were doing? They were doing a little bit of worshiping God, and they were doing a little bit of worshiping the world, and they were just lukewarm. That was the problem. The Christian life is a life where God doesn't want you wandering, wasting your time in the wilderness for 40 years of your life. He says, I want you to cross the Jordan. He says, I want you to go into the promised land. He says, I want you to go into Canaan land. He says, I want you to fight the battles. He said, I want, he said there are battles. There is land to be conquered. There are, are things that you must accomplish. He says, I want you to be victorious. And this is where we find the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 3. They are literally getting ready to walk into God's will for their life. Look at verse 5. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But notice what he says, for. That word for means because. He says for. He says because. He's like, here, here's why you need to do this. Because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God wants to do wonders among you? Honestly, do you, do you believe that God has a plan for you? That God has a purpose for you? That God has bigger and greater and more wonderful things that He wants you to do with your life? In our Christian life, we need to understand that the Christian life is a life of battling. It is a life of fighting. It is a life of being active. If you're not active, if you're not in the fight, then you're cold. Then you're not accomplishing anything. And Joshua says to the people, hey, tomorrow, now notice, he didn't say today. He said, tomorrow, in the future, the Lord will do wonders among you. But here's the interesting thing about Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3 is Joshua explaining to the children of Israel how to prepare for the wonderful works that God will do for them in the future. And in your life, and in my life, is if God is going to use us in a mighty way, if God is going to put His power upon our lives, if we're going to be used of God to do wonderful things, Jesus Christ said that we should do greater works than Him, than Jesus Christ. He said that we would do greater things than He did. He said that we would preach more than He preached. That we'd see more saved than He saw saved. That we'd see more converts and we'd make a bigger impact. But if God's going to do that, it's not going to happen by mistake. You've got to prepare for it. I want to see you. I want to show you three three things that Joshua told the children of Israel to do in order to prepare for these wonderful works. And I don't want to be very long tonight. But I'd like you to see number one, they needed to succeed after God's word. Now, when I say that word succeed, I don't mean about success like being good. Uh, the word succeed there means to follow next in order, to follow after, like a succession. Look at verse three, Joshua chapter three, verse three. And they commanded the people saying, notice what they said. They said, when ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place, notice what it says, and go after it. Here's what they were saying. We're going to form a succession. We're going to form a caravan. We're going to form a line. And he said, the leader... Is not going to be Joshua. He said the leader is going to be the Ark of the Covenant. When the priest 
pick up that Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember when we were in the book of Exodus, we studied the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was like a chest that was on poles, and the only people that were allowed to touch it were the Levites, and they would pick that up, and they would carry it, and it was very fancy, and it had all sorts of gold and different things in it. And Joshua said, when you see that piece of furniture, when you see that Ark of the Covenant, and it begins to move, and it begins to go, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go after it. I want you to line up behind it, and in succession, each one of us is going to follow after the Ark of the Covenant. Now you say, well, what's so uh, interesting, or what's so impressive, or what's so special about the Ark? Well, keep your finger there in Joshua. Go to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is right before the book of Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter number 10. Deuteronomy chapter number 10. You say, well, what's so special about the ark that they were to follow the ark? Well, here's what's special about the ark. In Deuteronomy chapter number 10, the Bible tells us, and look at verse number 2. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 2, the Bible says, And I, this is God speaking, will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest, and notice what he says, and thou shalt put them in the ark. Do you see that? God wrote the Ten Commandments on two tables of stone. Moses came down from the mount with those two tables and was so upset when he watched the children of Israel worshipping a golden calf that if you remember, he broke those uh, uh, Ten Commandments. Later on, God said, we're going to do it again. He said, I'm going to write my words again. And he said, this time to make sure that they're safe, I want you to put them in the Ark of the Covenant. I don't want you to get upset again at these people and break my word. The special thing about the Ark, you can go back to Joshua, the special thing about the Ark of the Covenant was not that it was beautifully overlaid with gold, was not that there was cherubims over it as a special decoration, was not that it was in the center of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, all those, all those things made it special. What made it special was that they literally had the Word of God in the Ark. And what Joshua was telling the people, he says, God is going to do wonders among you, but you need to understand that you must follow the ark. And what he was teaching them was, you must follow God's word. If we are going to be Christians that accomplish the things that God has for you in your life, the victories that God wants you to win, the battles that God wants you to win, you're just going to have to decide right now. You're just going to have to decide. Before God can really start blessing you, before God can really start using you, before God can really start doing a wonderful work in your life, you're going to have to get to the place, every Christian needs to get to the place, where they decide that they will follow God's Word. See, most Christians, they, they don't mind coming to church, and they don't mind listening to preaching, and they don't mind, you know, this and that, and, and all these things. But there are very few of us who have actually made a, a decision, have actually gotten to a place in our life where we say, if God says it in His Word, I will do it. If God tells me to do it, I will follow after it. If God wants to lead me a certain way, and His Word tells me to go that way, I will go. But that is exactly what Joshua was saying. He's saying, you see this Word of God go, you follow after it. And the picture there is that as you read God's Word, or as you study God's Word, or as you preach God's Word behind the pulpit, and the Word of God prompts you and says, hey, you ought to do this. Follow after it. The only way you'll see success. The only way you'll be used. By the way, look at verse 3 again. Not only were they to follow the ark, but notice what it says, verse 3. And they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your, your God, and 
the priests, the Levites. You see that? They were not only to follow the Word of God, but they were to follow the man of God. He said, hey, there's some spiritual leadership there. There's Levites and priests. He said, I want you to follow them. Now, you don't, don't miss this, okay? I'm, I'm going to help you to realize, because sometimes cults get started because people follow men. The Bible says, look at it again, verse 3. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, notice, bearing it. Bearing what? God's Word. Then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Hey, you know that you ought to follow spiritual leadership as long as it's bearing God's Word? You know that you say, well, are we supposed to do everything that Pastor Jimenez says to do? You're not supposed to do everything that Pastor Jimenez says to do. But if Pastor Jimenez is bearing God's Word, then you ought to follow. You understand that? Because you're not following the Levite. You're following God's Word. Let me show you a verse. Go to, uh, uh, let's see, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. You say, well, well you think there's, some, there's nothing special about you. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about you. There's nothing special about the Levites. There's nothing special about any person. But when anybody is bearing the Word of God, when anybody is preaching the Word of God, hey, we ought to follow them. Why? Not because they're special, but because they're bearing God's Word. See, the leader ought to be God's Word. That's why at our church, everything we preach, everything we say, we try to directly preach out of the Word of God. Why? So nobody can ever say, you're following a man. And the 45 minutes we spend preaching God's Word around here, that has nothing to do with it? <laughs> Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 11. This is what Paul said. Notice what he said. Be ye followers of me. This is what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. Be ye followers of me, even, or in the same way, as I also am of Christ. So see, what Paul was saying was that you ought to follow me as I follow Christ. You say, well, how do we follow Christ? We follow Christ as we follow His Word. Hey, He is the Word. So Paul was saying, you follow me as I follow Christ. And he was saying, if I stop following Christ, then you don't have to follow me anymore. Listen, whenever I stand up to preach something and I'm not preaching God's Word, if I'm just giving you my opinion, I'm telling you, you have my absolute permission to absolutely turn me off and you don't have to listen to anything that I have to say. You understand that? And I honestly, I, I mean that. From the bottom of my heart. If I'm ever telling you something that has nothing to do with God's Word, you can tune me off. You don't have to listen to me. I have nothing of value to impart to you. But when we are bearing God's Word, you need to decide, will I follow God's Word? Now, all of us like to say, yeah, I'll follow God's Word. But when the rubber truly meets the road, is when God's Word begins to be applied to our lives. And you've got to make a choice. Those who will have a victorious Christian life will make the decision, like it says in verse 3, Joshua chapter 3, verse 3, and go after it. You've got to get in succession. You've got to get in line. You've got to get on the path of following God's Word. And you've got to allow God's Word to lead you. Look at verse 4, Joshua chapter 3, verse 4. Notice what he says. He says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant go, He says, I want you to go after it, but here's what I want you to do. Verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it. He says, don't get ahead of it. About 2,000 cubits by measure. He says, come not near unto it. Here's why. That ye may know the way by which ye must go. He says, not only must you decide you're going to follow God's Word, but He said, don't just follow God's Word. He said, allow it to lead you. He said, watch where it's going. He said, stay far enough behind where you know exactly where it wants you to go, but then you go. He said, which ye must go. Now here's what's interesting. 
If you begin, if you make a choice, if you decide, you, you decide tonight, you say, you know what, Pastor Jimenez, I am making a conscious decision tonight that I will allow God's Word to lead me. Let me just warn you. Look at, look at the last part of verse 4. Actually, let's, begin, let's just read verse 4 again. Yet there shall be a space between you and it. About 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. He says, here's why I want you to make sure you know where you're going. Look what he says. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. You know what he's saying? He's saying when you start following God's word, it's going to start leading you in places you've never gone before. It's going to start taking you places you've never gone before. So many people say to me, Pastor, you really want us to go to church on Wednesday night? I've never gone to church on a Wednesday night. Yeah, but if you follow God's word, you may start doing things you've never done before. You really want us to go out and knock on a stranger's door and invite them to church and try to preach the gospel to them? I've never done that before. But you start preaching, you start following God's word, you might start doing things you've never done before. You really expect us to take 10% of what we make and put it in the offering to support the ministry of God? I've never done that before. There's a lot of things you'll start doing that you've never done before when you decide to follow God's word. He says, look, you've never done this before. He says, we've never been out of the wilderness. We've always just walked around in circles. You don't need much directions when you're walking around in circles. You know what I mean? That's how most of us have spent our, our entire lives. Walking around in circles, wandering, accomplishing nothing, doing nothing. But if you're going to do something for God, you're going to have to need a guide. And that guide is going to be the Word of God. Now let me just warn you. You start following God's Word. It's going to begin to ask you to do things. I'm not comfortable, Pastor, getting baptized. I'm not comfortable, Pastor, uh, preaching. I'm not comfortable, Pastor, reading nine chapters a day. I'm not comfortable. I've never done that before. The only way you can win victories is by doing things you've never done before. only way you can conquer the promised land is by going to places you've never gone. I said, number one, to be used mightily of God, you're going to have to succeed after God's word or get in succession after God's word. Number two, I'd like you to look at verse number five. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. Why? For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. In order for God to use you in a mighty way, which I believe He wants to, I don't know if you, you, you say, I'm really comfortable right now. Yeah, that's because you're lukewarm. It's always comfortable to be lukewarm. But God doesn't want you in that wilderness area. God wants you hot. God wants you accomplishing something. God wants you... We, he, he want, we want to be able to look at your life one year from now and say, Wow, look at all the victories you won. Look at all the battles you won. Look at how much you've grown and how much you've conquered. Do you understand that the children of Israel didn't own any property? But when they, when they were getting ready to conquer this land, now they're going to begin to have property. Now they're going to begin to prosper. Now they're going to be looked upon as an actual nation. Now they're going to be seen as a mighty kingdom and it was going to be to the glory of God. Hey, God wants to enlarge you. Spiritually, God wants you to grow and get better and be more successful. But if you're going to do that, number one, you've got to decide to follow God's word. And it may lead you to areas you've never gone before. But number two, you're going to have to sanctify yourself. Look at verse 5 again. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That word sanctify means to make holy. It means to free from sin. The word sanctify, if you know the Spanish word for the word holy, is santa, comes from the same root word. It means to separate. It means to call apart. Now keep your finger there in Joshua, but go real quickly with me to... uh, 
First uh, Peter. Let's go to First Peter. First Peter in the New Testament. There, First Peter chapter number two. First Peter chapter number two. What you need to realize in the Christian life is that sanctification is not an option; it's a command. Notice. Joshua did not have a question mark at the end of that. He did not say, Hey, do you feel like you want to maybe sanctify yourselves? He said, he made a statement. He said, sanctify yourselves. That's a command. He's telling them what to do. Are you there in 1 Peter? Uh, look at chapter number 2, verse 9. 1 Peter, chapter number 2, verse number 9. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible says, look, look what the Bible says. Actually, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Look at 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 15. Let's look at that first. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 15. That's what I want you to see first. 1 Peter 1, 15, the Bible says, But as He which hath called you is holy. You know that God is holy? You know that He is without sin? He is hallowed. He is sanctified. And the Bible says, But as He which has called you is holy, so be ye holy. In all manner of conversation. Look at verse 16. By the way, that word conversation, there's not just talking about communicating with someone. That word conversation is referring to your manner of life. He said, I want you to be holy in your entire manner of life. Look at verse 16. Because it is written, Be ye holy. Does that sound like a question? That's a command. He said, be ye holy. Why? For I am holy. God wants you to be holy. God has chosen you. Go, go to 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You just need to understand that when you got saved, you're, not, you're no longer playing by the same rules that this world is playing. You understand that? When you got saved, you were called out of the world. You were separated out of the world. You were purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. You belong to Him. You are His, we talked about it this morning, vessel. You, he owns you and He calls you to holiness. He calls you to sanctification. He calls you to separation. He calls you to get sin out of your life. You say, well, how do I get sanctified? Go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We got to do this quickly. I don't want to be very long tonight. John chapter number 17. Because I'm warm. <laughs> John chapter 17. Look at verse 17. Say, how do I get sanctified in my life? John 17, verse 17. It's funny how all of this just goes together. I feel like I preach the same things over and over, but it's because God keeps saying the same things over and over. John chapter 17. Are you verse 17? Look what it says. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Okay, so we get sanctified through God's truth. What does that mean? Keep reading. Thy word is truth. Do you see that? How do you get sanctified? Through God's word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto unto thy word. Go to, uh, go to Ephesians. Man, I, I, we've looked at this, at this uh, uh, verse. Okay. I showed this verse to the couples at the sweetheart banquet. Then I went there, Ephesians, this morning to this verse. And I'm going to go back to it tonight. And it's because I don't know any other verses. No. <laughs> I, I think it's because God, I don't know. He wants us to really get this verse down. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 26. Ephesians 5.26, look what it says. That he 
might sanctify and cleanse it. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ sanctifying and cleansing the church, you. That He might sanctify and cleanse it. How is He going to do it? With the washing of water by the Word. Do you see that? See, when you make a conscious decision, I will follow God's Word and you begin to read God's Word, and you begin to study God's Word, and you begin to go, uh, to go to a church that preaches God's Word, eventually you're going to start finding things in God's Word, and they're going to chip away at you. Look, you say, every time I come to church, I feel like pastor's always talking about something I do. He's either talking about uh, watching the TV, which I do, or he's talking about drinking, which I do, or he's talking about smoking, which I do, or he's talking about not gossiping, or not having a bad attitude, or submitting to my uh, your spouse, you know, wife, submitting to my husband, or, or being a leader, or doing this, or doing that, or going so when I read about, you know, well, why is it that they're always trying to chip at me? It's because God's trying to get rid of the sin in your life. He's trying to wash it away. He's trying to cleanse it. He's trying to sanctify you. Like we said this morning, God loves you the way you are, but He doesn't like you the way you are. See, what we're, we're being real upfront with you, we're trying to change you. <laughs> Make you better. And it's done through God's Word. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is true. And Joshua said, you can go back to Joshua chapter 3. He said, you're going to have to learn to follow God's Word. He said, and then you're going, he said, and by the way, just let me warn you, you begin to follow God's work, you're going to start doing things you've never done before. You're going to start going places you've never gone before. You're going to start dressing a way you've never dressed before. Some of you never put a tie on. You started coming to Verity Baptist Church. Especially when you started ushering. <laughs> Some of you start dressing in a certain way. The guy without a tie is laughing. Isn't that funny? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hypocrite? No, I'm just some of you start doing things and you're going, you're like, why is it God? God's trying to help you grow? Sometimes you have to get, sometimes you have to do things that you're not comfortable with to grow. You understand that? You ever heard of, of growing pains? I didn't have much of them last year. I was growing up, as you could tell. But I've heard that when you start getting tall, <laughs> you get these things called growing pains. And in your Christian life, it's the same thing. Sanctify means to make holy, to free from sin. Getting the sin out of your life is the spiritual battles and the victory, the victorious Christian life. Now here, let me give you one more point, number three. When I said number one, you're going to have to succeed after God's word. You're going to have to get in succession after God's word. Number two, you're going to have to sanctify yourself. Number three, Joshua chapter three. Ver, uh, look at verse number eight. Here's point number three. You're going to have to learn to step out by faith. Step out by faith. Are you there in Joshua chapter three? Look at verse eight. And thou shalt command the priest that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in the Jordan. Now look, let me, let me, let me just tell you something. You say, Pastor, I'm going to follow God's Word. Amen. And I'm going to allow it to wash me and clean me and cleanse me and sanctify me. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to lead, I'm going to go into the promised land, maybe for the first time in my life, and I'm going to begin to live the Christian life. Hey, I'm excited for you. But let me give you another warning. As soon as you decide, I'm going to do something for God, there's going to be an obstacle waiting for you. There's going to be something ready to stop you. Children of Israel said, okay, let's go. Promised land, the ark is going, let's go. They take, a, they take the first step and they realize, wait a minute, there's this thing called the Jordan River. <laughs> And it's between us and the promised land. Look at, look at it. Look at verse 8. 
And thou shalt command the priest that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still. They get to the Jordan River, they say, Well, what do we do now? Guess we'll go back home. Is that what he said? He didn't say, he didn't say turn around. He said, When you get to an obstacle, stand still. You know, the best thing you can do, you say, Pastor, I feel like, I'm a, I feel like there's a wall. I feel like I, I, I can't accomplish more. I'm just, I, I feel like I'm a... You know, sometimes God just wants you to stand still. But Ephesians tells us, having done all to stand, stand. Sometimes you need to just wait on the Lord. He's like, we got to the brink, what do we do? Look at the last part of verse 8. Ye shall stand still in Jordan. Look at verse 9. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Hivite, and the Perizzite, and the Girgashite, and the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth passes over you into Jordan. Now, don't miss this. They get to the Jordan River. Here you have the children of Israel. You got their new leader, the rookie, Joshua. Right? He's known as Moses. And he's leading them into the promised land. And he says, follow the ark. And they say, we'll follow the ark. And they say, and he says, sanctify yourselves. And he says, we'll sanctify ourselves. And he says, there goes the ark. Let's go. And they say, let's go. There's a river. <laughs> and he says, listen. God is going to do a great work. And I like his wording. Look at verse 11. It says, behold, the ark of the covenant. Notice these words. Of the Lord of all the earth. He said, you know that ark you were following? You know the word you were following? That was the ark, and that was the word that, be, that belongs to the Lord. Not just our Lord, not just my Lord. He is the Lord of all the earth. You know what he was telling him? He is the Lord of Israel, and He is also the Lord of this Jordan River. Look at verse 13. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. Do you see that? He's reminding them... That the Jordan River being there is not a mistake. It's not like it surprised God. It's not like God said, go into the promised land. They start heading that way. They get into a Jordan River and God's like, well, I guess I should have looked at a map. God knew it was there the whole time. He said, look, we serve the Lord of all the earth. You know, in your Christian life, you, you do well to just realize that God is in control. God is sovereign. Nothing catches in my surprise. God knows what you're doing today. God knows what you're going to do tomorrow. God knows what He's going to have you. And when a Jordan River happens to be in your way, just remember, God knows. And He's the Lord of all the earth. Look at the plan, verse 12. Now therefore, He says, here's the plan. Take you 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of, the tribe of, out of every tribe of man. And it shall come to pass, look what it says. As soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap. You understand what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, we need to cross the Jordan to get into promised land. Then here's what's going to happen. The priests are bearing the ark. And he said, they're going to step out into the water. That's what he said. Look at what it says. Verse 13. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest that bear the ark of the Lord, 
the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, as soon as the priest, as soon as their, the soles of their feet touch the water of the river, he said, God is going to stop the water, and we're going to be able to cross through. Look at verse 14, though. And it came to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were coming to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests uh, that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. I don't, don't miss this. You see the parentheses there? It says, For Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of the harvest. During this time, the Jordan was just rushing. It was overflowing. Okay? It wasn't a little stream. This was dangerous to get into it. And I want you to understand this, because when I was a kid, I used to read this, and I thought, okay, no big deal. So, you know, it's like when you're going to jump into the, the pool, right? They're just supposed to dip their foot in, right? As soon as their toe touches, God was going to stop the water. That's not what he said. Look at verse 13 again. I know we're reading this verse a lot, but I want you to get this. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest. Do you see that word rest? He says, as soon as the soles of their feet shall rest in the waters of Jordan. Do you know what that word rest means? It means that they were to step in full fledged. Just like you and I, as we walk, we just rest our foot. He says, they need to rest their foot in that water. As if they're going to walk right over. And he says, as soon as they do that, I'll stop the water. But he said, I won't stop the water. Till their foot touches the water. And it's resting on it. Not dipping it in, not trying the water, not saying, is God really going to do it? He said, I want you to step out. Here's what he's saying. I want you to step out by faith. Talk about stepping out by faith <laughs> into a rushing river. Go to second, keep your finger there in Joshua. Go to Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 7. We're almost done. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 7. Second Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 7, the Bible says... 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 7. The Bible says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. The Christian life is a life of stepping out by faith. Often God asks you to step into things and you say, Well, how's this going to work out? Often God asks you to do things and you say, Well, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Just get used to people saying, That doesn't make any sense when you tell them, Well, I'm going to do this for God. Well, that's weird. It's okay to be peculiar. He says, I want you to step out by faith. He says, I want you to step out into the Jordan. He said, but here's what he said. Here's the catch. I want you to rest your foot on the water. Now look, I don't know about you, but water's not very stable. <laughs> he said, you don't worry about that. You just step out by faith. He said, well, God, that doesn't make any sense. For we walk by faith, not by sight. The Bible says that the, Bible says the just shall live by faith. Oftentimes, God asks you to do something. Go back to Joshua. See, they have to be committed to the cause. They have to be committed to what God was going to do. And the Bible says there that as they stepped out and they rested their foot. Look at verse 15. And as they that bear the ark came unto the Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose upon and heaped very far from the city Adam, that is beside Saratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people, look what it says, and the people passed 
over right against Jericho. Isn't that amazing? That God stopped a river from flowing? Well, it's not that amazing to Joshua because he'd already seen Moses have the Red Sea parted. But see, now God was doing it for another generation. Sometimes people say to me, aren't those great? You know, I love, I love to listen about the old preachers, Dr. John Hiles and Dr. John R. Rice and, and, and Curtis Hudson and those great men of God that will stand up and preach sermons and see thousands say, but let me tell you something, the same God that blessed them can bless you and I. Those days aren't gone. They're not over. They're the good old days. Hey, we can do something for God in our generation today. The problem is most of us don't want to step out by faith. Pastor, you don't understand. I decide I'm going to follow God's word, and now I'm doing things I've never done before. And now you're asking me to go soul winning. You may have to step out by faith. Now you're asking me to get baptized. You're literally going to have to step into the water. Now you're asking me to tithe. I don't know that I can do that. The priests have never walked on water. As far as they knew, they were just going to get drenched. Get sucked into the water. Maybe even die. But they said, okay, God said to do it. Let's do it. And God performed a miracle. God did a great work. And this generation was able to go into the promised land and conquer. Do you understand that God had been promising the children of Israel, this, for generations. All the way to Abraham, God was promising, I'm going to give you land. 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 But it wasn't until this moment that they actually went into that land. Why was it? I believe it was because it was at this moment that there was a group of people that said, we'll follow God's word, we'll sanctify ourselves, and yes, we'll even step out by faith. I'm not here to tell you that everything in the Christian life makes sense. Because it doesn't. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you. So I, I hear people tell me all the time, and I, and I can attest to myself. So, so, so people come up to me and say, Pastor, you know, I, I, I've been, you know, it's easy to use the, the finances as an example because we, we understand the, the fragility or the fear that people come up to me and say, Pastor, I don't understand. I've been, I've been tithing, but I, I, don't even know how, I don't even know how we make it. I got that letter from you saying how much our, our tithe was, and I thought, good night. How do, how do we give us, how do we do that? How do we survive this year? I don't know. Sometimes you just got to step up by faith. Sometimes you just got to put your... But see, you say, well, why don't we like to do that? Because we don't like to be vulnerable. We, don't, we, we want to be in control. But here's the problem. When I'm in control, God's not in control. See, God likes you weak. God likes you vulnerable. God wants you in a position where you can fail. Because when we're weak, His strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm just trying to help you. Say, I want to do something great in my life. I want you to do something great with your life. But in order to be used of God, you're going to have to decide to follow God's word. Allow it to lead you, maybe in locations and in places that you've never gone before. You're going to have to decide to sanctify yourself. To get the sin out of your life. And you say, well, how do I get the sin out of my life? You need to get in the word. You need to read the Bible. You need to pray. You need to be memorize the scripture. Hey, you need to be faithful to church and have a pastor preach to you faithfully out of God's word. The word will cleanse you. And you're just going to have to learn to trust God. Step out by faith. Say, you know what? God's asking me to do this. I'm going to do it. God's asking me to go here. I'm going to go there. You want me to step into a rushing river and, 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 and put all my weight into it and rest my foot on it? Okay, God, I'll do it. But there's only few people that have seen miracles as wonderful as the Jordan River being stopped. I've never seen that, have you? But I should like to be there. I'd, li- I'd like God to do that for me. But here's a question. 
Would I be willing to rest my foot in water? Would I be willing to step out by faith? I don't know. But the only way that we're going to be used of God is if we decide to do that. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for our church. And Lord, thank you again, just as we study God's Word. Not doing anything special. Not doing anything necessarily amazing or necessarily, you know, exciting. We're just choosing to study God's Word and that it might help us in our Christian lives. Father, I pray you'd help us to be a people that are not just trying to be stagnant. Okay, well, I went to church. Okay, well, I fulfilled my duty. But that we're actively winning battles in our Christian life. And that we're getting stronger. That we're getting more faithful. More knowledgeable about your word. Lord, I pray all of us tonight would make would, would find things in our lives and we'd say, you know what? This is a sin in my life that I need to get out of my life. This is my next battle. This is my next focus. I don't know, maybe it is being consistent to church. Maybe it is reading your Bible. Maybe it is developing a prayer time. Maybe it is going so away. I don't know what it is. But Lord, I pray you'd help all of us to be fighting. To be hot. So that we're not cold and help us to never be lukewarm. In your precious name I pray. Amen.